0: There are times where a game system is inspired by an impression of an idea, more than the physical inspiration itself. This week on schedule for launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Nemo about their game, Zinn Never Dies. In this beautifully developed game, take on adventures and flush out your character in dynamic ways that suit your playstyle. Avoid the gaze of the gods and experience a fun new dice system as you and your friends travel the path set before you. We talk about art, dice mechanics, and struggles of development. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am super excited to be talking with Nemo from Zinn Never Dies. We've been trying to set this up for a really long time. Nemo, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, we're going to be talking about your game, Zin Never Dies, which I've been following for... Oh, it's almost been... At this point it's probably been close to six or seven months.
1: Oh yeah. I've I've really been a tease with most people who have caught on early (laughs) uh, with how the updates keep going because I really want to have it... uh, I want new people who find it to not be able to guess that it's an indie project, which unfortunately means I either hire a lot of people to work fast or work by myself very slow. But we got there eventually.
0: I'm really excited to talk about this project i love the art direction and the from what i've read in the quick guide i love how this system works so before we get into that can you please tell the audience a little bit about
1: yourself my name is nemo i am currently technically always been but recently a fresh german citizen living in berlin i am a writer artist uh any other Thing you need to be to make a role-playing game on a budget, uh, <laughs> and if there's something that I happen not to be, like a layout designer or something like that, I check the budget, and if there's not enough money for a layout designer, then I'm a layout designer too. None of these things are professionally, <laughs> but just you know, when the need arises. Mm-hmm. Before Zin Never Dies, which is this game, I did. Uh, some amateur projects, none of them really published, Uh, mostly literary short stories and things like that. And now coming onto the public stage is with uh, this role-playing game, both the system and the world setting bestiary all in one compact book. And that's the thing. It's a lot of
0: content for,
1: even your quick start
0: guide has a lot going on. The first couple pages are just on lore and backdrop for the world. And it's so filled out and well thought out. I absolutely
1: adore it.
0: Ah, thank you. Could we tell everybody a little bit
1: about what Zin Never Dies is? Sure. So it's both a world and a system. But essentially, it's a role-playing game. And mm-hmm. it, there's two main things about it. I, I can talk about the lore and the world for essentially forever. Not just because I have a lot of it prepared, but because I know enough about it to very confidently pull stuff out of my butt about it. Uh, so I can. And hey, I'm the creator. That's canonical. You can't complain. Yeah. Um, so, on the, on the mechanical side, on the stuff that's uh, more easy to describe to people, I guess, it's a system that works with uh, a 20 sided die, a D20, much like a lot of other games, Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons, prime among them. And it's different from those systems in two big ways. One is success and failure. In most games, things work pretty linear. High number is good, low number is bad. And there's a lot of weird creative ways to do that. There are some ways where you get bonuses to what you rolled, uh, some cases where the actual minimum and maximum change, weird systems. You kind of have to let that go to unlearn that because in Zinn Never Dies, A higher number means you did above what's expected of you. Lower number means you did below what's expected of you. And right there in the middle is what's expected, which means most of the time people are aiming for 10. Instead of a bottom-up system, it's a middle-out system. So failure actually looms both at the bottom and the top. You can underdo or overdo things, which I've noticed really adds to the good paranoia that every game I assume every game master tries to make. That's what I try to do. <laughs> but that's the that's the one biggest change, I guess, between this system and other systems. And uh, in playtesting, I've been noticing. I was hesitant about the system, but I've been noticing that players tend to roleplay to their own strengths a lot more with this. That players will have a they're less likely to go off on some insane, crazy, cartoonish idea. I mean, unless that's the type of game you want. Uh, yeah. Because they're very used to the idea of, you rolled a 20, it's an amazing success, you roll a 1, it's a hilarious failure. It's more in the case of, well, I'm trying to get this door open to save this kitten. I can roll 10 and do that. I can roll 1 and smash my shoulder on the door, and roll, or roll 20 and smash the kitten by slamming the door open too hard. And uh, it makes people kind of walk a... A finer balance, which is exactly what it's meant to do. It's meant to encourage role playing and a slightly less murderous atmosphere.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that's really great about this game that that fitting range. I think is the the term that you use to to describe it.
1: Oh yeah, the action right there in the middle is your fitting action, and the range that you roll within to get that is called the fitting range. And keep in mind, throwing all these terms around may sound very confusing. And specifically because of that, because I'm one of those people who can't really, either with text or with, with people explaining it to me, I don't really get mechanics. I have to see it happen. Because of that, yeah. I made sure that the quick start guide and the book are blasted with visual imagery. For, for you, but also mostly for me. So graphs, little visual designs, arrows, cute little masked fellas pointing the way. I, I, can't, so I can't function without it. So, yeah. Don't, don't worry if it sounds complicated. Get it. It's, it's free. These little masked fellas will show you the way. Yes.
0: I, I'm going to be honest. The first quick start I got from you was, I think, version 0.3. And the one that I just looked at was version 0.6. Oh, yeah.
1: That was way back
0: yeah (laughs) it was a while ago and i remember looking at the the dice rolling and not getting it at all i saw the term (laughs) wiggle stat and i was like that doesn't make sense to me so from where (laughs) you've gone to where you
1: are is an immense change it's so easy to read oh that's that's perfect thank you very much it seems that uh there's the thing that the the there's a bunch of developers that I really admire and I look up to, but one of the ones that I do the most uh, are Valve. Not because of the way mm-hmm. they now sit on an endless pile of money since they made oh, yeah. Steam, but when they used to make video games. And uh, mm-hmm. with something like the first portal, for example, if a, they would playtest those games to death, to a mirror shine. If a player, If they found that a few players looked at a specific wall for too long, even though it wasn't important... They would paint an arrow on that wall, to to where you should look. Nothing is there that doesn't need to be there, and uh, I think just getting that guide, which was originally like sixty pages, getting it a bit smaller, a bit smaller, a bit smaller every time, until it's exactly as long as it needs to be. I think that's the biggest, uh, I guess, improvement so far. And even with the yeah. Uh, yeah. assessment of the book. Originally, I thought, well, I want to put a whole world in there that's going to be a thousand pages. It's going to be three separate books and volumes. The more I worked, I realized, no, it's, I'll, I'll fit it down to maybe maybe two books. Ah, maybe, just, maybe just one. Maybe 300. Pa- okay, maybe 250. <laughs> because less is more. When people actually yeah. can read a thing through, they're hungry for more. If they stop halfway through Lord of the Rings, they're probably not going to pick it back up. Yeah. Yeah, I...
0: I have an unfinished copy of Fellowship of the Ring that I've had for about 10 years now. So I that one hits
1: home. I, I worked through it recently, and uh, I, I, I'm not offending anyone. Tolkien is gr- obviously a genius, very influential. It was hard. <laughs> it's a lot it was luck. hard by the end. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so we know a little bit about mechanics. Can you tell us just like a, a brief snippet about the lore? Because a really cool thing about this book and the quick start is how easy it is to drop players into that world.
1: Sure. So the, it's always hard for me to to start describing the world because it's like looking at your own creation for very long and you forget yeah. what a first impression could possibly be. Um, if I had to start describing it, I'd probably start with the fact that the world has ended a few times now. Uh, first time was a very long time ago, and every so often this world kind of cyclically seems to apocalyptically end. Don't worry, probably won't happen in your game. These are thousands of years (laughs) apart. But the reason that this happens is because the gods are real. People know this 100%. You can see them four times a year just hanging out. And the second thing to know about them, aside from being real, is that they don't care about you at all. (laughs) not just not just that if they do care about you that's a bad sign the last thing anyone in this world wants is to be in the radar of the gods once upon a time it was different once people uh had a kind of you know greek mythical notion of the gods that you can be a a champion of a god a hero of a god go on these get these powers go on adventures and uh slowly people came to realize that it made for a lot of good stories, but at the end of the day, a lot more places exploded because, uh, adventurers <laughs> tend to do that, whereas a quiet doesn't. And so the term adventurer, the term champion kind of started becoming dirty words. People who sought the attention of gods, legendary status, heroic deeds. Well, they drew the attention of these big giant gods who always wanted drama and drama's kind of bad for business, uh... Yep. <laughs> and it slowly became a world where uh, have a boring day became a standard greeting. And so it's into this world that you are dropped. For most characters born, but with some characters literally dropped. And you have to balance this idea of you're not going to be a an epic heroic hero. That's not. You're not going to be a champion who saves the world by creating a fireball the size of Goku's spirit bomb and destroying the moon <laughs> but there is a balance to be struck because some problems uh, can only be solved by some extraordinary people doing extraordinary things and uh, that might just have to be you.
0: That's a really good summary of it from how I've read it and from what I've heard one of the biggest sources of excitement for me doing this podcast has this podcast episode specifically has mm-hmm. been the community created around Zid Never Dies, and hearing people reflect on the play tests that they've, they've had during that, a lot of them hosted and ran by you, some by other people. What's mm-hmm. some of the bigger things that you've learned during play testing through that community that's found this game?
1: Well, a few things. One, that people are the, the best, that's one thing. Uh, genuinely, that I, I don't know how, but I just got very lucky with the people who found my game, uh, I found that when I reached out to specific individuals saying, Hey, uh, uh, please try my game. Uh, here it's, you know, the, the feeling of being the one, the person handing out flyers. Uh, I yeah. felt, I didn't know who to reach out to. And I drew some pretty nasty people who, uh, just wanted D and D replacements. when I just put things yeah. out there and let people come as they will, uh, I drew some incredible people and the lessons I learned from playtesting and I've been playtesting this game for uh, twice as long as it's been on the internet. I've been running campaigns for my own friends and folks on the internet for uh, probably three, three and a half years. Longest campaign of z indie ever ran for two and a half years, just ended the other day. So that was a, that was a big thing. And I found a few things. One I found that the moment people get over a... Uh, there's a kind of hill to get over. Exactly what you mentioned about the wiggle stat. Not getting what it is. People have that as the one thing where it doesn't make sense. It's unintuitive. They don't fully get it. And when they start, they roll once. They roll twice. They roll three times. And they never ask about it again. They, it's something about it snaps and it's like riding a bicycle. And from every mm-hmm. person to whom... I haven't yet met someone who has played a single session and later had a single problem understanding the mechanic, which was a big surprise to me because uh, I came up with that mechanic alone effectively. I didn't have players in the room to test out at every phase of development. So that was a lucky break with that side. And the second thing is that people really tended to get more emotional, that this is really a system that encourages role play and a lot of games these days do that and some for the wrong reasons i think some games say yeah. the rules light and they encourage role playing not to smear on anyone's games obviously uh no, no, no but a lot of times people will choose to focus on that because it feels like developing rules in a real mathematic system that makes sense uh it's just a very different skill set than the than the most people have especially people who are drawn to the storytelling aspect and the role-playing aspect there's overlap sometimes with you know engineers and physicists and mathematicians but for the most part it's just people who like stories what i found out is that people got the is that the, the math wasn't a problem the problem is that people need to be able to repeat the same little exercise in their brain over and over and over again
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And once they got that, they never need to think about it again. And that's actually why I designed the character sheet the way I did, where the main char- question with the character sheet was, what do people need to have in front of their eyes and what can they keep in their head? And the balance there is, how much can I ask people to keep in their heads without making the character sheet look like a, you know, like a, a lot. like a blue, yeah. blueprint for a, Apollo 11?
0: i adore the character sheet by the way i Ah. look at that it's so straightforward it's well designed it's a very good character sheet so people who like me like a character sheet that is simple and gives you all the information you need and you're making a game look at this character sheet in the quick start guide please we need more character (laughs) sheets like
1: this (laughs) the thing that um Well, so here's another thing that's kind of connected to the character sheet is just by looking at it, just without even reading what the little sections are called, just by looking at it, there's a very clear difference between this and something like um, there's a great role-playing game for The Witcher that I I forgot who wrote it, but it's the official The Witcher role-playing game. And it's great. I love it a lot. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. There's a lot to keep in mind with that one, a lot of, a lot of numbers, um, but it's wonderful. And if you look at the three pages of character sheet there, and if you look at the ZND character sheet, and I, I think these are both good, not trashing, not again, keep in mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the immediate clear difference you'll find is the, the majority element there is number box, and the majority element here is text box, where most of the space in the Zin never character sheet is for open text. It's, not, little, it's mm-hmm. not segmented. It's not for putting bonuses, pluses and minuses. There is a little, a little design there in the middle where numbers go. And anything else on the character sheet, any number anywhere, that's where it goes or that's what it's connected to. As far as the rest, it's description. It's history. It's your skills, your belongings. And uh, I found that by giving people that space... And saying very clearly, this is a rules box, and this is a free box. This is a box that you may you may need the book to, you know, to learn how to fill it up correctly. And these boxes, the free ones, the ones with the lines for text, those are free. Those are for you. If you want to say you have a pitchfork, you have a pitchfork. Add that. That doesn't take any points. You have a pitchfork. It's part of your character. And I feel like having that clear separation, these are rules, and this is free, helps people to... Uh, Avoid that blank page phobia, you know, of looking at an yeah. open blank page and just completely paralyzed and not knowing what to do, which I get too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I got it before. I definitely remember the first time I played D and D in Pathfinder and being like, "This is a lot, what goes where?" that kind of stuff. You get used to it, but this game makes it really easy to step into.
1: Oh, yeah. And, oh, and actually, there's a fun connection to D&D, between Z&D and d between z and d and d and You wouldn't imagine by the, by the um, shorthands, I know. It's crazy. Uh, but funnily enough, I, I might be, at least in my, the sphere of game designers that I met since I've started getting into this, I've met a lot of people... Who design expansions items uh mm-hmm. different mechanics and they're amazing at it yep. and everything is kind of in relation to dnd because it's the industry leader and i find yep. that i can't really participate in a lot of that discourse because i i don't know it and that's a bit well, really, it's a bit unusual yeah. for designing a role-playing game because i've played D once that was a single session in ninth grade And that was that was it. And I remember having an idea. I always, I knew about role-playing games. I knew, I think, even at the time, about maybe Critical Role wasn't going then, but something, things of that media sphere of role-playing tabletop. And I always knew it's something I'd get into. It's some kind of nerdum territory that's near my vision. (laughs) I assumed I'd like D and D. And when I finally got down to sit and play it, I realized. It's good, it's not bad, but it's very different from what I imagined. And a few years later, when it came time to uh, make my own thing, I sat down and I thought, okay, what did I think D&D was going to be? What, like, what did I have in mind when I just thought of people playing D&D? When would dice be rolled? What would it mean? And I wrote a few basic sentences down. And that's what started Zinn Never Dies basically what my perception was of a fun role-playing session before I knew about uh, modifiers and the lengthy having to... Oh, God, I remember having to flip through five pages of spells to choose from going, going, ah, what do you oh, recommend? Yeah. Just give me a spell. <laughs> Which one explodes? Speaking of spells, Zid oh, Never
0: Dies uses a little bit of a different thing. So before I didn't get to see this, I didn't really get to work with it too much, but never Dies uses zin, and specifically the, the zin trees. Can you talk a little bit about the trees and how zin works compared to another magic system?
1: Oh, sure. So people, uh, there's been a lot of development in how people speak about magic in the, the nerd territory. I think in large parts, thanks to uh, Brandon Sanderson, who's written a lot of books and also done a lot of lectures and people think about hard and soft magic systems the thing is that doesn't really work with an interactive system with role-playing games because uh, you always have to know the rules with a role-playing game it can't can't be that soft because someone has to know what's going on so with role-playing games a really useful set of terms for any game is static and dynamic magic Static is basically like Harry Potter, it's like D&D. There is a thing, there is a simple equation, if A plus B happens, you get the spell. If you have the spell slot, you have the instrument to cast it with, you have the spell, and you choose to do it, it happens, like the trigger of a gun. Dynamic magic systems are things like, uh, in games like Mage, by in the World of Darkness games, where you have these vague spheres of influence. That's a very dynamic one, so I'm just just going through the extremes. Yeah. In mage, you have these nine spheres of influence with vague names like uh, space, life, forces, time. And you have a certain level of influence of bending reality. And whoever wins, say, these two mages fight is really the more creative player. It's about how you can... All the different ways you can think of using these strange powers. Now, Zin Never Dies is somewhere in the middle. It's not quite static. It's not quite dynamic. What you get is this. So, Zin, from the title, is the name of the magic. And there's a reason that Zinn Never Dies once you get in the world. is It's more like a threat than a promise. Because a lot of people would really oh. prefer it if Zinn died. Uh... Zin was kind of uh, it wasn't stolen from the gods like a a Promethean myth it might have been better if it was no, it was given by the gods which might be a little scarier knowing these gods, knowing which gods gave it to you and no matter what people Mm -hmm. will do it will not go away Zin is a magic that is both specific and vague and uh, what you said about Zin trees so they are if you think about it in game terms, they're trees, but in the world they're called towers. Basically categories of Zen Things with equally vague names like fire, creation, alteration, uh, distance, sense. Used to be sight, it changed the sense. And you have these towers the same way you'd have a spell. But instead of getting different spells over time, you put more points into these and increase how much you can do with them. You get a level 1 in the Tower of Fire. You can kind of make a little flame. Your finger acts like a little Zippo lighter. You add another one into it. Well, now you can make a campfire at will. Another one. All right, well, now that tree over there, okay, that one's on fire now. And it, gets fr- it goes all the way from 1 being the amateur hour to 5 being you are a hero of legend. Myths are told about you. So keep in mind, you're not going to get to 5 with your first character at least maybe up there on the horizon but it's a thing to really give you that sense of progression that i feel is lost mm-hmm. when you start a game so i've, I've met some uh, game masters who've done a terrific job with D, with starting players feeling very much like average medieval peasants and they slowly get higher and higher up Most games don't start like that. Most games you start and you're already kind of above the rest. You start as a little bit of a hero. A level one wizard in uh, Dungeons & Dragons can pretty easily take over a town and uh, become the, the local dictator just with your cantrips or whatnot. So I wanted to bring that down to earth a bit. Make sure that all the people, PCs and NPCs in the world, run on the same character sheets. The mythical heroes and that farm boy over there. Their character sheets are the same character sheets, but their experience along the way has been different. So that's a big element of bringing things down to earth. That and the magic.
0: That's so interesting and cool. There's a couple games that I've heard of, but I like how Zin Never Dies does it like i said i'm a huge fan of this game already i'm very excited to dig deeper into it when the full game comes out and one of the things that i really liked about it was some of the inspirations or at least some of the vibes that i got from it
1: when looking Mm. at
0: art and that so i think what first attracted it to me was i'm a huge studio ghibli fan
1: oh yes,
0: and i love princess mononoke the mask that you use as the mascot of the game mm-hmm. really reminded me of the Kodama
1: from Princess Mononoke. Yeah, so can you talk got a, a lot bit of about these. some of the inspirations for this game? Sure. So visually, I, I often find it hard to speak about the game because you couldn't tell, but I often <laughs> find it hard to speak about the game because, uh, because I kind of rely on the art to do the hook. I have a feeling vague, uh, a hunch that most people who come to the game come because of the art, and maybe they stay for the mechanics or the world building, but it's that one thing that hooks you. A lot of games have an industry, an audience, a lot of ways to hook you in. With indie games, they need a a special kind of hook, a one-sentence descriptor, and what I found is that with my game and with my world, I don't really have that. I never had a single sentence, this is what the game's about. This game is about uh, fighting aliens on the moon. This game's about planning a heist in medieval times. This game, I never had that one descriptor, because it's very open and more about the mechanics in the world. So I needed some other kind of hook. And so I turned to the art, and I tried thinking of all the things that, if I see, in any context, I click on them. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to click. And Studio Ghibli is one of the first things that came to mind. But not just that. A kind of weird combo of that and uh, the, the the art style. And some of the artists who worked on Hollow Knight, which has an incredible art oh, style. Okay. That game has an incredible art yes. style. That uh, the very old strange things like the original... Uh, pixel art version of the Shy Guys from Mario, uh, Mario 2 I think yeah. uh, Those, just thinking of Mario 2 enemies so a lot of separate things came together to form this visual style that's got a little bit of Ghibli but also kind of roughness around the edges whereas Ghibli has a very pristine clean style uh, mm-hmm. a kind of Ghibli gone slightly rogue Ghibli that bleeds That sounds terrible, but Ghibli that that got lost in the woods and had to improvise a spear to stay alive. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And and so that became the hook for a lot of people. And the more I started drawing it, the less it became about hooking people in and the more it became about just wanting to see more of the world because this weird mixture of art. And not just that, uh, traditional Japanese um i don't know if you've ever seen them but there are these this this whole tradition in japan of drawing these folk and mythical creatures these spirits uh, and different kinds of spirits i forgot what the book is called but there's one one guy like a few centuries ago and that's all he did he did a drawn encyclopedia of of mythical uh beings and spirits that book Has been maybe the biggest inspiration for me that idea that areas have a local spirit people have these local uh folk myths it has a kind of charm like a fairy tale but at the same time of a kind of folklore darkness so it's the two different sides of having a a local legend and all these things came together to form the adorable and slightly creepy style of zin never dies Uh, I got to give a a huge credit to a lot of the artists. I didn't do all the art in this book. Uh, Some artists helped out early on. A wonderfully talented artist named Crow did line art for the original ones. Uh,
0: Oh, I love Crow. I've talked with Crow. So
1: the, the species, the illustrations of the species, those are not digital. Crow did that line art. Ink on paper and scanned it later, and I colored it digitally and and finished the artwork digitally, and then uh, worked with the rest to kind of replicate that ink on paper, that very vintage physical style, but recreate the rest digitally because just can't do the whole book that way. It would take forever. Um, No, (laughs) No. it would take. (laughs) So yeah, that uh, wonderfully talented artist named Lunch, and uh, I, I, this names pumping out of my brain. But look at the bottom of the quick start. There's there's links there, there's credits there. All these people are wonderful and very talented.
0: Sorry about that, everybody. I accidentally closed out the window somehow. I'm <laughs> not sure what happened. Um, so as I was just asking you, Nemo, there was some difficulties when you were originally starting Sin Never Died and getting it to like this point. Can you talk a little bit about some of the hurdles that occurred in your life while you were making this game.
1: Sure. So there have been different, uh, different categories of hurdles. The simpler ones have been things like uh, money and living space, work, uh, things that everyone at some point deals with. But uh, some more extraordinary ones came along the way. One was that my big workstation was uh, at home. I was living with my family when I started designing it. Very, very inception of it, three or more years ago. And since then, afterwards, I'd moved out. I was in a relationship for a while. I stayed in a very strange little city in North Carolina called Asheville. Not Nashville, Asheville. Okay. Uh, It's a weird, it's a quirky, weird place. Uh, And since I moved, I couldn't have my workstation with me. So a lot of the design, the early design, happened on a really terrible little tablet that I bought for, oh. uh, I think it was $200 in Japan. And it was a, it was a bad decision. To I, sh- I should have probably. <laughs> it was a bad, I was, I was just about to go on a plane. I didn't know what to do. I had nothing to, uh, what I was, how am I going to keep working on it? I didn't. I had a laptop in Japan. It bricked. I left it. At the last hotel where I stayed, I hope it still worked and someone got a free laptop. Um, If not, it's just a very weird hotel room gift to leave over. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that that was a a big mechanical thing early on. I couldn't design anything graphically, which is a big hurdle to getting things on board because I only had this terrible little tablet on. So for the first while, it was only text, which is hard for me too because I'm visually minded when i finally did get around to it the second hurdle which everyone runs against in indie but also any kind of game development is money i had started i'd gotten enough faith in the game that i started coasting on savings and just betting everything on the game and working and working and working on it to make it happen problem is When you're doing that, you don't have much time for a job, so you don't have much of an income, if any. And so commissioning art from people is... uh, It's just not too much of an option. So what I... But I knew I needed a lot of art to uh, get it started. I knew that when I present the game to people, when I get to where I am now, which back then was unimaginable, but I knew that when I got here and I showed people, hey, here's a free sample of the game, I wanted to have art, finished, professional-looking art, on every single page of something like a 30-40-page document, uh, and to have it be fuller and more concise and easy to read, and that took a lot of shaving down. But I couldn't really commission complete pieces of art. I had done traditional painting in the past. I was an art major in high school, Whatever, whatever that added, if anything, to it. And eventually I realized, okay, I have two options. Either I live in a box and commission a lot of arts, or I only commission vague concept art, sketches. And I spoke with artists, and they were very generous, agreed to give me pretty good rates, and uh, they did these sketches, some of them pretty basic, some more detailed, but basically gave me these rough sketches. And I decided that I had to start learning how to do digital art to turn these rough sketches into a complete piece of art. I couldn't start from scratch. Not, I was not that confident, but I thought I could (laughs) probably get enough. I could probably cheat, do some tricks and visually cheat my way around to making something that looks decent. And over time, the concept art I got from people, it started needing less and less detail as I got more confident in my own skill until eventually I was able to make complete pieces on my own now, I still use concept art from folks, don't be mistaken uh, for a lot of yeah. the pieces in the book, and they're wonderful and I'm probably going to make a little add- on to the Kickstarter uh, of a little little art showcase to so show people the progression of the art from concept with credits and everything but that was a that was a big challenge. I learned to grow a lot from it because restriction kind of breeds creativity in most scenarios (laughs) and that was definitely one of them i would not have become a digital artist if i didn't literally have to if i had enough money to commission all the art in the book i probably would have and i probably wouldn't have been as scrupulous about it because i wouldn't have seen it as a self-judgment you know whatever result came out i would say, well an artist did it it's professional what what can i say but knowing that the final product is going to have my name on it uh, brought things to a much more personal level. There's a lot more accountability there. Those are... Oh! And the third uh, degree of hardship that came with it, not to whine about it, I've had a pretty easy time overall, life-wise, but there was a very interesting case which uh, I was developing the game, working on it, trying to get the quick start together, the very, very first publicly available version my friends had seen earlier versions yeah the first quick start was 150 pages long which <laughs> which i shall have which is as obviously uh, it's not that's not quick that's not quick and and it's <laughs> it's, it's it's not even it's a start middle and end it's not a quick and it's not a start so and i saw a very great uh, a very good looking game recently which I won't name because I think it, it is good and they're getting better at it, but I hit on clicking their free mm-hmm. quick start and it was literally 200 pages long. It's like, what, are you, what could you possibly mean by this? Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, whatever this is, it's a very good game. I can't do that. I have to do something different. And so I started yeah. shaving it down and in the process of shaving it down, I got kicked out of the place where I was living, which was continents away from my family's home I'd moved out for the first time in my life to live with a partner in North Carolina and that relationship blew up catastrophically um, without going into much more detail and uh, yeah and so I kind of became half homeless and I had a big suitcase with an entire PC and drawing tablet and all the equipment I'd accumulated so, I, I was a kind of a one person uh, role playing art making studio wandering around carrying this <laughs> incredibly heavy suitcase about, teetering between luxury and homelessness. And uh, a lot of the final push to make the game happened when I was a friend, let me stay in their spare room which was their book room. It's a very small place. And there was a kitchen, living room, and, and book room, which used to be a bedroom, but there wasn't a bed yet. So there was a mattress on the floor, and the count, I counted them 3,000 books. And me. Uh, the place oh, was boy. freezing. It was a North Carolina <laughs> winter. A tiny little town, not, quite, not far from Asheville. And uh, I was so dejected. I'd been through a bad breakup. Uh, it was, I was freezing. I was in a, I was in a bad way overall. My computer was set up yeah. almost on the floor, but on a little makeshift table I'd made out of Encyclopedia Britannicas, uh, <laughs> and I made a little extra one out of Terry Pratchett books as a as a as a mouse pad, so I can kind of sit sideways, lean on the wall, and not be totally prone on the floor. And when you find yourself in that scenario, y- y- you look around and go, "This is this isn't rock bottom, maybe, but I can see it from here." And uh, yeah. it kind of had to make a choice of, "Okay, what am I? Is this the dreaded point I've heard about where I have to uh, do whatever it is they say about your bootstraps and uh, become a lawyer or something, mm. or other potential plan, do a complete one eighty and uh, actually push." a hundred percent onto this thing that i intuitively think has real potential and uh in that tiny little frozen room is where the final push happened and it's where from there the final the the first version i guess of the published quick start uh got made which is uh i've come a long way from there i'm not frozen currently even though the temperature here in berlin (laughs) currently is lower so that's improved. But yeah, yeah, that 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 really felt like a a trial by fire of uh will I stay dedicated to it even if I'm in dire straits? And I'm I'm glad to know that uh, the answer
0: was yes. I'm glad that that happened too. Like I said, I'm really excited about Zid never dies and I know a lot of other people are, especially the people in the Discord. They're just you've built such a great community around this game. So I know that a
1: lot of people are very excited to see what success looks like for it. I'm incredibly excited. I can't not be. I try sometimes for my own uh, mental health to stop being excited about it. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. I don't know if it, if it'll stop because after this, I mean, hopefully things will be successful, but uh Assuming that that's the case, well, you're excited for the Kickstarter, then you're excited for the first draft, then you're excited to get the physical copy of the book, then you're excited to give it to people, mm-hmm. then you're excited for who knows what else, expansion packs, another game, or uh, conventions. Uh, it feels to me like okay, a, next, yeah. just an upward spiral that uh, it's probably not going to last forever, but uh, it's good to hope.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. So we've actually been running for around 45 minutes now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to start wrapping it up, unfortunately. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, yes. So Nemo, I know that you've listened to the show before. And you know this question. What advice can you give to people who want to make their own game, but they don't know where
1: to start? Uh, so this might not work for everyone. But this is the advice that I... Uh, if I look at my own actions and I had to guess what crazy advice i had been given to do what I've done, it's this. Get a group of people, and this might be very hard, knowing the running joke about schedules in D&D, but uh, if you get a group of people, even just two, sometimes even just one, uh, and if you can tell them, I have an idea for a game, and I want to start playing it with you, it's really rough, don't ask too many questions about it. Don't. <laughs> just, just Just go with it. <laughs> If you can get even one person to do that, go into that with a kind of vague idea of a story, a sentence maybe two, and some dice. Doesn't matter how many dice, kind of almost doesn't matter which dice. Um and just just go. And that might be a, a sound crazy and you might ask what should you do? But the thing is the player is going to ask what happens next and you're going to have to make something up. And after you do, after the session's over, if you can call it a session and not just a weird rambling back and forth. If you look back at what you did, for me at least, uh, you'll find a lot of flags about things that show the way to places you'd actually want to be. Originally, I wanted to uh, run a game for my players but I didn't want to spend too much time learning systems and rules and numbers and I knew they didn't have time for that either. So I said, Actually, this might be the very first Z&D session ever. It five, six years ago, if you can call it Z&D even. Um, I said, hey, I I, I made this game. Uh, but I I I don't like the, the players having to do math. So it's actually in this game, me, the game master, I do all the math in my head. You don't even have to worry about it. So you have these four <laughs> stats. Put whatever, however many numbers you want into them. Doesn't matter, don't think about it. We'll run the story. Every now and then you roll a d20 and I tell you what happens. You don't even need to know the rules. Now, I don't think it's a spoiler to tell everyone that there were no rules. I just wanted to play a game and I was very lazy. (laughs) I, I took the stats they wrote down and I tore them up and put them in the garbage. And they never asked any questions again. Because if it kind of vaguely intuitively made sense, they would go with it. And I had a great experience and a great game. And then I thought, okay, well, how can other people replicate this insane improvised madness that happened and go okay if the game if the game did have rules what would those be if what kind of rules would have produced the game i just finished and had a lot of fun with and when i wrote those down that was the that is the basis the core for the rules of Zinn never dies which has come a long enough way to now be followed by a decent enough crowd to bring it to kickstarter But it literally started with improvise whatever seems fun to you. Basically, take a shortcut, go straight to fun, and then look back and think what kind of game would have produced that. Backwards engineer it, and you've got yourself your game system, the way your brain wants it, which is what ZND is for me. It's the way, if I had to pull an entire game out of my ass, that's basically what this would be, and I want other people to play it too, so I have to make a whole book about it. It's a great sales pitch, I know.
0: <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think it's perfect though, especially knowing you a little bit, knowing a little bit about Zen Never Dies. Like, that's such a, it feels right. <laughs> it feels right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, this feels like a. It's probably not what you meant, but in my. In my head, it's like looking at it and going, yeah, it feels like someone came up with it on a nervous phone call, pulling it out of nowhere. <laughs> the, that's how the species came about. A friend of mine, I was trying to convince yeah. another friend to join in, and he said, well, what, can you, what races can you play? Because they were coming from d and background, and I went, oh, well, mm-hmm. there are these uh, bird folk, but they don't have arms. It's just wings and talons, so a lot of the dexterous stuff they do with their talons, there are these, uh, you know, kind of giants with enormous arms. They're the strongest, but also uh, they're the smartest. The thing is, they're because of their enormous arms, they can't really do small dexterous movements. So that's where the downside comes in. They're humans, but, uh, well, not quite humans. They got antlers. They're a bit different. And obviously, much like the system from before, I was making this up on the spot. And all I was thinking is, what does he want to hear what um not just what does he want to hear but what would i want to hear what are interesting species i've seen but haven't seen before i've seen bird species but they're kind of like playing an angel a person with arms so put a twist on it they're bird species but they don't have arms they have wings because why would a bird why would a bird have arms yeah no birds have arms why would this happen (laughs) um that's a bat you're thinking of a bat no i'm talking about birds or giants in role-playing games, bigger and stronger usually means dumber, uh, which I never really liked. Yeah. So these are gentle giants. They're big, they're strong, and incredibly smart, but that naturally brings other disadvantages. Different humans, little masked folk, they're hollow bones, they're very easy to snap, but they're the most magical creatures there are. So basically, getting a, making sure there is no default. There is no... Making a game in which it is impossible to make a human paladin, that is, that is my mission. You can't make a human paladin in Zim never dies. Not, again, listener, your human paladin is very special and is nothing like all the other ones. And it's very, it's very important that you know that. But I don't think anyone was ever hooked by saying my character is a, a human paladin. I don't think that's ever been a, a, a real plot twist in the character creation process. No. That's what I meant by it.
0: <laughs> I I love that so much. The advice portion, amazing. The inspiration parts, also very good. So <laughs> run with it. It's basically what you're saying. Run with it.
1: <laughs> just just run with it. Take a, it, it's, it's a long way of saying fake it till you make it. But it doesn't... The fake it is the first bit. Making it is the 95% afterwards. Start by faking yeah. it, but stop faking it pretty you know, it, it put a stop to the faking it pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> people will catch on real that. fast when it's time for them to, <laughs> to game master. It all rolls smooth until it's time for someone else to master the game.
0: <laughs> Nemo, where can people find more about Zin Never Dies?
1: Ooh. Well, zinneverdies.com. So that's a double N in there. zin com. Always whatever i talk about is there social media kickstarter by now you will hopefully find uh, a kickstarter page which is either the promo page to let you be notified or the absolute campaign is live page for you to get the game yourself that is the first link you'll find on the website or look up Zin never dies on kickstarter and as for social media at Zin Never Dies on Twitter as well as Instagram, and for me, if you feel like uh, getting more of these incredibly, incredibly insightful anecdotes, uh, then uh, <laughs> I think I think my Twitter handle is Nemo is Reading. I, I think
0: that's right. I was looking at it earlier.
1: It, it because originally when I made it, it was I it thought is, I Nemo was going reading. to be a, uh, yeah, right I thought I was going to be a literature-based streamer. So how far we've come.
0: well as always audience those are all going to be right below in the description so long as the kickstarter is still live while this is going on and it will be on original launch it'll be going till about mid-march we we think right Mm nemo
1: yeah going from february to march as we are recording this in advance you'll find the the correct Mm -hmm. accurate dates uh either below on the website but yeah march to february uh, (laughs) February to March is the, the time frame to get the physical copy of yeah. the game.
0: That'll be in the top description down below. So if you scroll down, and if you're interested in Z Never Dies, go down to the description, check out this game, look at the art, talk to Nemo, Nemo's great. Talk to me,
1: yeah. Oh, and uh, go on our Discord server, where you can- Yeah, the Discord server is amazing. Where you can play test the game, literally. There's a, there's a channel there where all you need to do is uh, say, hey, I want to play the game, and three people will pop out of the earth and say they've been waiting for someone <laughs> to say that and and playtest the game with you. Sometimes I run the games myself, sometimes other folks do. Recently someone did a cooking-based one-shot where it's about searching for secret ingredients. I, I didn't know about it, they just alerted me that it was happening. It was fantastic. So, yeah. Hit me up there. About Zin never dies or just for a uh, random uh, criticism or feedback on the game. It'd be lovely.
0: Well, once again, thank you so much, Nemo. Thanks for joining us here. Thanks for I'm having I'm really me. excited about Zid Never Dies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, audience, go check it out. Nemo and Zid Never Dies, they're scheduled to launch really soon. So get out there, back this game, talk to the people in the Discord. I promise you, you'll love it. Take care of yourselves. Have a great night. I. Goodbye. Once again, thank you so much to Nemo for coming onto the show this week. We actually did pre-record this one a little bit because Nemo was getting busy with the Kickstarter coming up, and I was just getting a little bit entangled with school again. But I'm really excited that we managed to work this one out. As of recording this, Zin Never Dies should just be getting ready to launch, and the top link below will take you to the landing spot on Kickstarter for that. I assure you, this game has an incredible punch to it, and there's some very good stuff, and the community is just phenomenal. And the promotion for role-playing, it's incredible, I love it. Sign up, get notified on launch. Thank you, listeners, for coming on and listening again. Can you believe it's already been a year since we started this whole thing? It's absolutely stunning to me, and I wouldn't be here without you you have all been super supportive and i don't know who it was i'm trying to figure it out but as of this recording for some reason we've jumped up 100 listeners so we're just short of a thousand as of this episode i have no idea what the hell happened but to somebody listening to this thank you i really appreciate it if you like the show and you want to chat with me why not check out our discord or send me a message on twitter or even an email all that's linked down below and i want to hear more from you all and get to know you and your projects and see what's out there thank you again for listening take care of yourselves and each other i'll see you next week where i will be talking with will lentz again and we're going to be talking about his alternative history espionage horror game party first and specifically its expansion pack party first twilight war i'm really excited about it i love that interview and i love chatting with will so i hope you enjoy it as much as i did see you next time